When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Yesterday's concert is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. For most people, this is a quiet time of the year. The tour bus is parked, the earplugs are put away, and it's time to go home. There's no more slinging grilled cheese on the lot to make it to the next show, because, well, there is no next show. Yes, we've reached that part of the year where you've likely seen your final show. That is, unless your final show is a New Year's Eve party at Madison Square Garden. For live music fans, the winter months are a sad bunch. But let's put some cheers back in your ears. I hope your 2022 was a wonderful concert calendar year. My year closes with 128 shows, 106 total artists, 23 unique venues, and 7 festivals. It was a marquee year for me to mark off a few bucket list items. So let's close out the year by reminiscing. I'm going to count down my favorite concerts of 2022 and revel in some of the year's top touring acts. But I've also invited some old friends of the podcast, as well as a few new ones, to share their favorite 2022 concert memories. Let's not waste any more time with an intro. Let the countdown commence. But first, let's hear from an old friend of the show. Hey everyone, this is Rob Janicki of the multimedia site Generation Riff and the author of the forthcoming book, Slacker, 1991, Teen Spirit Angst and the Generation It Created. I'd like to thank yesterday's concert for having me on to talk about my favorite show of 2022. When I was first asked to participate, I really didn't have to think that long or hard about which show I was going to choose. Out of all the shows that I've seen this year, the best one, in my opinion, were the Toadies at Asbury Park in New Jersey. The show took place on October 21st, and I don't know really where to begin except for the fact that if you're a Toadies fan or a 90s rock fan, seeing a band as good as the Toadies, and I've seen them several times um, prior to this, mostly in the 90s. But when you see a band play an iconic record from front to back, and that's what this Toadies tour was about, they were playing Rubberneck, there's something about that, especially when the album meant so much and still means so much to their fans. The Toadies opened the show with three or four songs that span their career, and then they kicked right into Rubberneck. And if you've never seen a band play an album front to back, it's a different experience. It's not a regular concert. Now, they ended the show with several songs, again, from the rest of their catalog. But the bulk of the concert was playing Rubberneck from start to finish. 
And there's something about that when a band does it. It takes you back to the first time you heard the record. It takes you to, I don't know, maybe when you know, you're driving in your car and back in the day you had the CD on and you're just, it's up to 10 and you're just, you're lost in it. Or you're in your room with headphones and you're consuming the album. And now, probably for the first time, you're seeing the band actually play through it. Now, most bands don't play every song off of an album. They certainly don't do it front to back. But they usually, you know, they'll cherry pick a couple of songs from each album, and that's what you get when you see them live. So you know the band had to go back and maybe relearn some of these songs or maybe add a few things here or there, change them around a bit to keep it fresh. But the way the crowd reacted, the energy in that room, and if you've never been to the Stone Pony in, New- in Asbury Park, you need to go. You need to get there. Small room, 800 people, 1,000 people maybe. I don't know, something around those numbers. But the energy that that room provides, the sound is amazing. But the band just reacted to the energy in the room from the fans. And the fans threw all of that energy and excitement back on them. It was incredible. It Not only was it the greatest show of 2022 for me, but it's one of the best shows I think I've ever seen. And I've been seeing shows since the late 80s. So that that certainly says a lot. Um, if you're not a fan of the Tony's, Toadies, or if you just think they're, you know, the band that played Possum Kingdom, you know, uh, through 90s rock radio, you really should take a look and, or listen, I should say, and go back and revisit who they are, what they've done. They've continued to put out great albums. They are by no means a one-hit wonder or one-album band. They're not. This was their biggest, obviously. Rubberneck was and still is their biggest record. But, you know, if you need any evidence, go find the song I Burn on social media, YouTube, wherever, and watch a version of I Burn, uh, which is the last song on Rubberneck. I have it on GenerationRift.com in a piece I wrote about that show, um, and I've included a really good link to that song. That will give you a really good description of the energy that this show created. So thanks again. I hope you liked my review of the Toadies live at Asbury Park, doing Rubberneck front to back. And thank you again to yesterday's concert for having me talk about it. Take care, everybody. So we'll begin counting down my top five favorite shows of 2022. So at number five, Elton John at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles on November 20th. My number five pick will likely be one of the most significant shows I ever attend. Elton John's final United States tour date, allegedly ever. Elton John at Dodger Stadium 1975 is one of those legendary moments that as a music fan I'm constantly amazed by. The grandiosity of it, the larger-than-life mystique of Elton posing in the Dodgers outfit, and especially the truly heartbreaking story that surrounded those shows. As a final send-off to America, it was such a beautiful reflection of a storied career. Elton is my wife's favorite artist, and I bought these tickets as a surprise to her. Great seats and hands down the most I've ever spent on individual tickets. But they were worth it. We were right along the first baseline about seven rows up. I had no expectations of a 1975 repeat. We'd already seen Elton twice on his farewell Yellow Brick Road tour. I knew it would be a stellar show, but we were comparing one of the greatest moments in rock history to an event nearly 50 years later. But that's also what's so incredible about it, that even 50 years later, despite some up and downs, Elton could still sell it out. 
that it could generate so much buzz to this day that Disney would want to live stream it because they knew so many people would want to witness it. I won't rehash the events as you can watch those at home right now, but as someone who's there, I can say it was magical to be a part of that crowd. They were one of the most engaged and respectful audiences I've ever witnessed. There were no Fairweather fans. The moment wasn't lost on anyone. And when he sang Tiny Dancer, I don't think I've ever cried harder at a concert than that moment. To hear the entire stadium screaming the lyrics were nothing short of an angelic choir. It was a moment I'll never take for granted. So that's my number five pick. But before we get to the next one, let's hear from a new friend. Hey, this is Babs from the Over Underrated Podcast, a music podcast with Fran and Babs. I am originally from Portugal. I grew up in England and I'm currently living in Brussels, Belgium. Hi, I am Fran, the other half of the podcast Over Underrated. I am from Bournemouth in England. So the way our podcast works is we think of a topic, for example, a place like California or a genre like grunge. And then we each pick a band or artist one of us thinks is overrated and the other one thinks is underrated. We then make a five or ten track Spotify playlist showcasing why we think an artist is brilliant or terrible. Go off and listen to each other's choices, then come back to discuss and see if we can change each other's minds. We are here talking about our favourite concerts this year. Do you think it was a good year for concerts, Fran? Well, it was nice to have some concerts. This time last year, lots of gigs were being destroyed, cancelled due to COVID, so... I've had no gigs cancelled this year for me personally. Hurrah. Only one for me, and it was uh, due to a Brexit, which is not not very fun. But yeah, I think this was an exceptional year of concerts for me. I didn't go to any festivals, but I saw many acts who I liked, some who I knew more, some who I knew less. And it was all the way from a massive show like Little Nas X at Palais Deux in Brussels, a big venue where you feel like you were seeing someone who, age 23, is already a superstar, already putting on a showstopper show so... I'm very excited to go and watch him again and, and see what he continues to do. To a very small concert yesterday, I went to see French artist Léonie Pernet at Rotonde in Botanique to a crowd of, I think it's probably maximum 200 people, where her and her co-musician created such an atmosphere with just synths and lots of different types of drums, getting the Belgian crowds stamping their feet, which isn't always a given as crowds here are very quiet. But if I had to pick one show, I think it would be Peaches at Ancienne Belgique, because I've seen her before. This was my, my third time. This was a celebratory show for Teachers of Peaches. And watching it now, it's amazing how subversive it still feels. It's incredible how many bangers she has, so many good songs from across all the eras. I definitely have maybe albums that I prefer of Peaches, but I will listen to all of them from, from beginning to end. It was very special as well because I took my friend Eva, who literally knew nothing about her, so to be watching someone who's an icon, but introducing someone new to her and, and get into it, it was definitely very, very special. And if you have peaches coming your way, let her teach you something. And my favourite concert of this year is the band Spectre, who are kind of an underrated indie pop band. A little bit like the vaccines, but without the airplay and the fan base. And it was kind of nice to see them come back. So they played the Shepherd's Bush Empire, which is maybe a couple thousand people. And they had been doing the toilet circuit for the past couple of years. And I kind of felt like they're going to be quitting. But, you know, they've, like, they've kept playing shows after, show after shows after shows and never giving up. And now it's nice to see that they're on the way up again and all of their former bandmates even there to, to applaud them and cheer them on. And just to see them playing a best-of set list 
which ended up with the lead singer in the middle of a mosh pit singing Chevy Thunder and then the crowd erupting so much so that he couldn't even finish the song. He was that happy. And it's nice to be back seeing sweaty people having wonderful sweaty fun. Here's more of a 2023. Amen to that. So my number four pick is Billy Strings at Bonnaroo on June 18th. Billy Strings is such an anomaly. When was the last time a bluegrass artist was taking the music world by storm? Has it ever actually happened? I know we're reflecting on 2022, but looking forward to next year, Billy is headline arenas, 18,000 seats, and they're sold out. Has a bluegrass artist ever actually played arenas? Billy Strings on the Binary lineup was a major selling point for me. I haven't seen him many times, but everything I've heard and seen online has been nothing short of a generational talent. His ability to fuse bluegrass with other genres to make it more accessible to non-grass heads is a major part of his success. But the other part is his virtuosic skills. I've belabored guitar wankers like Joe Satriani, Steve Vai, and Yingbing Malmsteam. Their skills are impressive, but their listenability is in the negatives. Billy Strings can pick with the best of them, though. This, however, wasn't my typical concert experience. It was the third day of Bonnaroo, and after staying up until 5 in the morning the night before, or I guess technically earlier that day, I was gassed. The temperature was plummeting and I was improperly dressed to meet it. Rather than angling for the pit or a close-up spot, I went to the very back of the field, put down a blanket and lay down in the grass. Night had overtaken the sky and being a little out of the city, the stars were all so visible. For most of the set, I laid there recovering from the night before, stargazing and listening to some psychedelic bluegrass. But even where Billy can tear up a guitar with the best of them, what I love most about Billy's music is some of the slower, more emotional songs. From this performance, we got songs like While I'm Waiting Here and Love and Regret that actually display the duality of Billy's talent. Plus, I got to hear some of my favorites like Away from the Mire. Billy's set was only around 75 minutes, which for him is a bit of a sampler show. Given that it was a festival set, I'd say it was a good starting place for new fans. A good entrance to not only Billy's music, but Bluegrass in general. Regardless, it was one of the more memorable shows that weekend as they'd offered an opportunity to take in music in a more relaxed way than your standard club or arena could ever offer. And that's why I picked it as my number four pick. But before moving on, let's have another guest share their favorite moment of 2022. Hi Lance, this is Matt from Pick a Disc, and firstly I want to say thank you for appearing as a guest on my podcast to talk about King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard early this year. It's available on all podcast apps, so feel free to listen to it. And then if you like that, check out all the other episodes, you know, not fussy. Anyway, one of my favourite gigs of the year has to be when I saw Blood Red Shoes at the Rainbow Basement in Birmingham um, in June. Blood Red Shoes are a band that I love, and they were one of the first bands I discovered during like a huge period of my early 20s when my music taste suddenly had a massive resurgence, and I started like actively started looking for bands, and like MySpace was to blame, more or less, so it was around that time. For the uninitiated, Blood Red Shoes are an alternative rock duo from the south of England called Brighton, and they consist of guitarist Laura Mary Carter and drummer Stephen Ansell, and... They both kind of share vocal duties, so like Stephen might be singing one song, Laura might be singing another, and occasionally they'll they'll kind of like harmonise with each other. They've released six albums to date, and this year was the al- this year they released their sixth, which was Ghost on Tape, and they was touring that around the time of the gig. I'd seen them twice before, both in 2014. The first time was in the second room of the Altu Academy in Birmingham, um, but that kind of felt like a little sterile, uh, kind of weird. Um, I remember Stephen was kind of in the centre of the stage at one point with the drum kit and Laura Mary was on was on to his uh, 
on his right, stage left. I think I'm. I don't know what the terms are, and yeah, it, it, I don't know. Something just something about it didn't feel like it filled the room. So the sound was big, and I mean they could make a decent amount of noise, but there was just something off. And I had the same feeling when I saw them play a festival set later in the year. Uh, the festival's two thousand trees at Cheltenham, and they were on the main stage, and something felt a bit off. Friends of mine who I like kind of dragged from their kind of hungover state to go and see them on the main stage, so they were they weren't blown away, and that was a shame because I'd waited a good six years to go. And to kind of see this bit, see this band, and I really wanted to kind of really get into it. Cut to 2022, and they're playing a basement venue. The, the Rainbow Venues are a small collective of various rooms and venues of different sizes around the Digbeth area of Birmingham. The basement, um, which they played, is just through the bar. I think you take a right, and you walk down some steps into this long brick underground bar. Like a, it's called Really Long Cellar. And the stage is at the end of it. So there are speakers set up and it's just pretty much on the same level. It is practically at the end of this really long room. Uh, the only thing that tells you it's a stage is that there's actually a metal kind of pieced off barrier um, just to separate you from the musicians alongside some lights that are aiming towards that corner. Immediately, this felt more intimate. Laura, Mary and Stephen had two other musicians fresh at the sound. They had uh, like extra guitars and synths from the sounds of the songs of the new album. And we were right in front of them. They were loud. There were, a mo- there were moments where they kind of just, the two of them started playing um, quite a few songs from their older catalogue. The energy was there. The crowd was so into it. It was ridiculous. Uh, singing along and vibing with the sets. It was also quite warm, so the crowd got sweaty really quickly. The songs I didn't think I knew that well, it was like muscle memory. I remembered every word singing really quite loudly. Um, the highlight for me particularly was like from uh, a song from Time to Voices, which is their second album. Um, they had a song called uh, Light It Up and... The experience of pretty much the crowd singing along, going, Light it up! Right, uh, during the chorus, that that sticks out as a key memory for me. I, I didn't realise I liked that song as much as I apparently did, uh, but um, listening back to that song, it's now holding that kind of experience as a fan of this band for me. Um, yeah, it just resonates for this era. And I'm going to leave you with a quote written by the great music writer Matthew Latham from his Instagram account a couple of days after processing what he just written. And for the initiated, what I mean is that it's me. I'm just I'm quoting myself my Instagram account from when I posted the image of them. Um, there's a long spiel. I'm not going to read the whole spiel, but I'll just read the ending. There are gigs where you click with a band and the final piece just clicks. This was that one. This was the gig that I needed to see happen in 2010 and not 2022. And with that, I feel as if I'd finally ticked off a gig bucket list item 14 years in the making. To all the listeners of yesterday's concerts, I hope that you have a great 2023. Thank you. For my number three pick, I went with Beach House at the Soundstage at Graceland in Memphis on September 26th. This pick is one that I never saw coming, completely out of left field. Beach House is a band that I've always been conscious of, but I've never paid much attention to. Typically, I'm not much of a synth-based music guy. I think that's always kind of connected to the horror of the 1980s synth sound. Looking at you, Sticks. But after hearing some good reviews about their new album, Once Twice Melody, I decided to give them another shot. I have very little basis for what's good or bad within the Beach House realm, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. 
And after hearing stellar reviews about the band's live performances, I figured I'd give them a chance and check them out when they came to town. The show was fairly poorly attended. I guess there were less than 700 people there, maybe even closer to four or 500. This was amplified when you consider the room can hold around 2,000 people. But the band gave a stellar performance that was filled with gratitudes for those who that showed up. They even made some comments about the intimacy of the slim crowd. So I mentioned that I had very few expectations heading into the show. Before the concert, I spent some time with the rest of their discography, but I went in fairly blind, just wanting to experience a band that was noteworthy for their live shows. What I got was one of the more immersive concert experiences I've ever had. I've seen plenty of massive light shows that have lasers, billion twirling lights, and video screens. But Beach House's light show is relatively minimalistic. The band was hidden in shadows for the majority of the show, and a large screen behind them flashed auras that coincided with the songs. As mentioned, I'm not much into synths. But dude, if that light show and that band's sound didn't mix to create one of the most breathtaking, beautiful shows I've ever seen. It set a new precedent for what a light show can and should be. Rather than impressing you with all it can do, it was the perfect supplement to adding value to the music, something that's often lost in the exchange for Flash and Raz Pizzazz. Alright, so we're more than halfway through my top 2022 shows. But before we get to the top two, let's hear from another guest. Hi, my name is Keith R. Higgins, and I'm the host and producer of the Abandoned Albums podcast. You know, when Lance asked me about my favorite show of 2022, I had to give it like a millisecond of thought. It is, without a doubt, seeing the London Suede and Manic Street Preachers at King's Theater in Brooklyn, New York, on November 21st. Way back in 2006, I ran across a Mojo Magazine cover story on the disappearance of Richie Edwards of Manic Street Preachers. At that point, it had been about 10 years since he disappeared on the night before he and guitarist and lead singer James Dean Bradfield were flying to America to begin promoting the band's third album, The Holy Bible. Now, if you've ever seen the movie Eddie and the Cruisers, the story of Richie Edwards and Manic Street Preachers is eerily similar. I was a fan of Eddie and the Cruisers, both the movie and the soundtrack by John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band. So it's safe to say that I picked up the Manic Street Preacher's Holy Bible and fell down a pretty deep rabbit hole. And as the years ticked by, Richie remained missing and the Manics failed to gain any commercial traction here in the United States. And then they all but stopped touring here. With no commercial advantages, they just stopped. The band did come around in 2009, which was the first time they'd stepped foot in the United States in over 10 years. And I was lucky enough to see them at New York City at Webster Hall. It would be another six years before they popped around again, and that would have been for the 20th anniversary of the Holy Bible. I always eagerly anticipated and hoped they would return to the States. So when I found out the Mannix were touring this year, co-headlining with the London Suede, I was excited. Although I must admit I was a little perplexed as to why they were in a co-headlining tour with the London Suede, who, it should be noted, are known only as Suede in the UK. Nonetheless, Suede was one of those bands that led the charge of the Britpop movement of the early to mid-1990s. And in my book, and many others, the Manic Street Preachers were straight-up rock and roll, not necessarily Britpop. So it seemed like an unlikely pairing. I mean, I had nothing against Suede, or Britpop as a genre or a movement, just wasn't my jam. Having spent many years living in Brooklyn and on the East Coast, I had never heard of, let alone been to, King's Theater in Brooklyn. I would have thought a venue in Manhattan a little bit more fitting. Truth be told, I would have gone to the show if it was in an abandoned, rat-infested subway tunnel. Luckily, the King's Theater was nothing like that. 
it was actually staggering in its beauty and definitely brought to mind what the golden era of vaudeville must have been like. Now, since it was a co-headlining tour, the bands alternated on who was headlining. That night in Brooklyn, it was Manic Street Preachers. I got there a little bit early, and for some reason I had forgotten that I treated myself to a pretty good seat, so I was about 15 rows back from the stage, so that was pretty exciting. As the crowd began to come in, I did notice there was an abundance of Manchester United scarves and nary a Brooklyn accent among anyone I spoke to. When the lights dimmed and the London suede, or suede, wandered out to begin the show, the crowd went crazy while I sort of remained pretty reserved. I was standing, but reserved. As the band began the first notes of She Still Leads Me On, and lead singer Brett Anderson began prowling the stage, I was, in a word, gobsmacked. These guys were on fire. On more than one occasion, as I saw the London Suede play that night, I got goosebumps, which I can't tell you the last time that happened. Throughout their 75-minute set, Anderson made his way from the stage to the front row to mingle with the fans, and while he was on stage, he helped everyone in King's Theater reach a state of musical liberation. I thought to myself that Manic Street Preachers were going to have to really step it up in order to follow these guys. And I would like to say that they did. Their set list was a little disappointing, and while they sounded great, their energy just seemed a bit flat, which is understandable. I'll give you a minute to think of the best live show that you've seen this year. I bet they would have had a hard time following the performance by the London Suede that night in November at King's Theater in Brooklyn, New York. All right, so my number two pick is the War on Drugs at the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville on May 25th. It's wild for me to remember that on January 1st, 2022, I was at best a passive fan of the War on Drugs. I've listened to them a handful of times in the last five years or so, but they never really clicked for me. They never grabbed me. Their live album, Live Drugs, was a big stepping stone for me, and it moved the needle in the right direction. Now I'm ending 2022 with three War on Drugs shows under my belt and firmly placing them among my top favorite bands. I'm a firm believer in the pairing of artists and venues, sort of like cheese and wine or fried chicken and beer. On their own, each element may be great, but when you get the right pairing, your senses are pushed to another level. It's no different for live music. The Ryman is a venue unlike any other in the country. It's so revered by not only the fans, but also the artists that you're pretty much guaranteed a magical evening just by stepping foot inside the venue. Of the 10 or 20 shows I've done at the Ryman, not one of the performances has ever been anything less than outstanding. It's a mecca for live music, and one that I'm grateful to have just down the road in Nashville. For years, I've noticed a trend that for artists I respect but never quite grasp their studio work it's best for me to see them live. Typically, for those kind of artists, the live show is the missing link. It's what moved the needle from passive enjoyer to superfan. The War on Drugs is just another example in this theory. The pairing of the Ryman with a band that was on the fringes, I knew it would be the missing piece to my enjoyment. And it met every expectation. Songs like Red Eyes, Harmonious Dream, Strangest Thing, Under the Pressure, and Thinking of a Place are absolute bangers live. The War on Drugs translates to a new level on stage. It wasn't enough just to move the needle into fandom. It moved them into my top three favorites. Saw them three times in 2022, and each show was special, but paired with the rhyme and the magic of seeing them for the first time, this show easily beats out the rest. Alright, so we've got just one more concert left for this year. But before I share it, let's hear from one last old friend. Hello, yesterday's concert listeners. 
My name is Stu Kelly, and you can check out some of my work on themellomaniacs.com and stukellyphoto.com. More importantly, I'm a really good friend of Yesterday's Concert's founder, Lance Ingram. And I'm coming to you today to tell you about my favorite show in 2022. 2022 was a great year of live music for me. I got to see a lot of incredible bands for the first time, including Billie Eilish, Roger Waters, Rage Against the Machine, Oysterhead, Tyler Childers, Kendrick Lamar, and Slipknot. However, one show stands out as my favorite experience. It happened on November 17th in Fairfax, Virginia. That night was towards the end of the tour, which featured Goose and Trainastasio Band, both of which are two incredible acts in the jam band community in their own right. And both bands put together an extremely good set as well. This was my favorite show of the year because fans were treated to a surprise sit-in when Billy Strings joined Trainastasio Band on stage. Billy is one of those once-in-a-lifetime generational talents. He's a truly special musician who doesn't come around often. To see him share the stage with a juggernaut like Trey Anastasio was so special to me. Trey also welcomed out Rick and Peter from Goose to join in on the fun. Being able to witness Rick meet a rotunda, Trey Anastasio, and Billy Strings on the same stage is something I'll cherish for the rest of my life. I was also lucky enough to be surrounded by some of my best friends during that show. Jam band music is rooted in surrendering to the unknown. And that's exactly what we did that night in Fairfax, Virginia. My top show of 2022, my number one favorite, is King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard at Red Rocks in Denver, Colorado on October 10th. I've not been shy about my affection for this band, so this should come as no surprise. However, the band's live performances took a major step in 2022. They were already a noteworthy live act, but this year they became a front rower of bands worth making every effort to see. I've read a few compelling arguments that King Gizzard's October of this year is the modern equivalent of the Grateful Dead Europe 72, and I'm finding it hard to disagree. My first King Gizzard show was just a few months earlier at Bonnaroo. It was the highlight of what may be my favorite music day I've ever had. I got to see my top three favorite bands essentially in succession, The War on Drugs, Goose, and King Gizzard. All highlight performances, but King Giz was undeniably the pinnacle of the day. It's a rousing set that the band released as an official bootleg. The energy that surged during the show's finale, the dripping tap, will forever be one of the most awe-inspiring moments of live music in my life. The crowd band energy was unparalleled. But as great as that performance was, it was nudged out by my first night of the Red Rocks run. While I think night two, specifically set two, was the overall better grouping of music, night one was on equal grounds as that Bonnaroo dripping tap. This was a show that had been postponed for two years and the band's popularity has soared. The audience was bursting at the seams in anticipation. In 2022, specifically October of this year, the band pivoted into a more jam-friendly version of themselves, with multiple songs stretching beyond the 10-minute mark, including a version of The River that was at nearly 20 minutes and Straws at the Wind at 15. The band was showing off their chops. These weren't meandering noodles either. These were jams on par with some of the top touring jam band acts on the scene today. But even outside of the more loose jams, the band was insanely tight. These weren't a raw, the OCs inspired garage rock band anymore. King Gizzard has progressed to a level that's become impossible not to notice how precise and technically proficient they are as a unit. Not to mention Red Rocks. This was my first time at the venue. What a first Red Rocks show. Am I right? But what an absolutely magnificent venue. 
Its beauty is astounding. It's one of the few venues that I didn't hate being higher up for. To have the city's skyline and stretching miles of view behind the stage, coupled with those beautiful mountains carving out the stage, it really is one of the most majestic venues out there, albeit a little more physically demanding. It was a gift to be able to be in attendance for those first two shows, and I can almost guarantee that those three sold-out shows will be a standout for the band's legacy. And for that, it was impossible not to put it as my top show of 2022. 2022 was an excellent year of live music for me, and I hope it was for you too. I'd love to hear what your favorite concert was this year. Yesterday's concert is on all the social medias, so give us a shout and let us know. I'd like to thank my special guests for sharing their favorite moments. Check them out while you're traveling these upcoming holidays, and let them know they did a great job too. This will be my final Yesterday's concert until January 2023. Thanks for listening and hanging out with me this year. It's been a wonderful year and we've got a good inclination to believe that 2023 will be even better. So take care of each other and see you then. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.